Father, I thank you for your word. It's so enlightening. It really brings into perspective errors made and successes achieved. We would ask, Lord, that our minds would be transformed in a way that is away from the world and and towards your word for what the world thinks is wisdom. We know you call foolishness. And Father, we, we wish to have your wisdom, not the wisdom of the world. And so as we examine the woes that come upon the people of Israel, we ask that you would help us to take stock of ourselves as well, that we'd not fall into the same traps that they did, although we are very prone. But we know that by your Spirit and your Spirit guiding us, we will not make these mistakes. Father, we thank you for your word and the guidance it brings. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, of course, the problems with the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, it was because they really didn't pay attention to what the word had to say, and they came up with their own ideas of how they should conduct themselves, especially when it came to being in positions of authority. And last week we covered this idea that they had an altered view of authority even though they sat in Moses' seat and Jesus told them they must obey everything that they tell the people to do. But he encouraged them, admonished them not, or excuse me, obey everything that they tell them, but not to do everything that they do because they don't do what they preach. And they had this malign view of ministry and life in general where they would tie heavy loads upon men's shoulders and women's shoulders and they'd cause them to carry these weights so to speak speaking metaphorically but they themselves were not willing to lift a single finger in order to help them accomplish that and then also they had a godless view of greatness everything that they did was to be seen by individuals just to get praise back towards themselves and they wanted to be thought of as spiritual wearing the large boxes with a couple of scriptures on them. Phylacteries is what they're called on the back of their hand and on their forehead. And people would look at them and they'd think, wow, they're obviously very spiritual. And then they had an affinity for accolades. they, They wanted the praise. They wanted the titles. They wanted the tributes. They wanted the awards. I was listening to a message yesterday, and somebody who was very adept and skilled in their field of study was introduced by somebody and they started listing every single accomplishment that they had ever achieved in their lives and the the person was very good but i know that that's the world standard we look at that even in the churches if somebody comes and speaks in a church oftentimes people want to know well what are your credentials for being able to speak in a church you know the apostles had no credentials whatsoever they were fishermen And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so just because somebody gets a couple of letters behind their name doesn't mean that they're the wisest person that ever walked the face of the earth. On the contrary, just look at our colleges and universities, the PhDs that are out there that are encouraging behaviors that are just going to lead to the demise of society if we follow these things in confusion and suicides and all that stuff that's going on in the universities and There are PhDs there. So that should not concern us as much as somebody who simply expands on the Word of God, expounds on the Word of God, and tells us what it says and has the experience to go along with it. So that's what we want to look for, not the accolades, 
but just simply does that person love Jesus as much as they should or as much as Jesus says they should love. So we should never seek after a place for ourselves in a position of authority. Let God, working through others, appoint us. Also bear the burden of service if you are a leader and not put it on the shoulders of others, unduly so. And the pursuit of prominence produces precarious pitfalls. If we want to be thought of as great, well, there's pitfalls along with that. We might start actually believing everything everybody says about us, which puffs us up, makes us prideful, and it's good to make mistakes every once in a while because it keeps us in the proper place. So humility before honor, I guess, would be the theme of those first 12 verses in Matthew chapter 23 verses 1 through 12. Now, also, these woes, we're getting into the woes here for the specifically the teachers of the law, which were known as the scribes and the Pharisees. When it says teachers of the law, it were these group of men that would copy the text and they would go through lots of different um, preparatory uh, acts to get re- to get ready to write down a particular text, and like they had have to bathe, they couldn't be interrupted by the king when they're in the middle of that, and they would have to count the letters, and they'd have to count the spaces between the words and the lines on the page, and everything would have to be just right, and that's why it's been transmitted down to us through the centuries so accurately. But what happened was these scribes determined that they were going to be, quote-unquote, the lawyers. They were the ones that came up with legal documents. If there was a property that was to be transferred, you would go to a scribe to get that done. And they would be experts in the law. They could tell you where everything was. And they had their own ideas of what the rabbis would teach, and they would incorporate that into the Scripture. And, of course, both them and the Pharisees were erring, going off, not understanding the scriptures correctly. They held more to the oral tradition than they did to the word of God. And this is what Jesus condemned them for. And this isn't the first time that woes have come to them. Actually, if you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 5, that would be on the left side of the Bible. And you can, lots of chapters in Isaiah, so if you kind of get the general area there, if you have the Pharisee tabs in your Bible, it's okay, you can get there right away. If not, just kind of flip through the pages. In Isaiah chapter 5, we will see a total of six woes that were spoken by God through Isaiah to the people of Israel. So this isn't their first go-round with receiving woes from God. And I'm just going to uh, point you to where these are. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8. And I'm not going to read the verse, but you can just kind of put a little mark by it to see where they are or underline or put a box around the woe. But they were joining house to house and field to field. And what they were doing is they were allowed to sell their property or become an indentured servant to somebody who had some money because they had some debts. But on the year of Jubilee, it was to be transferred back to the family that originally sold it, and they weren't doing that. And they were building these big mansions on these big vineyards that would be out there, or the farmland. And if you read a couple of verses down from there, I think it's 9 and 10, it talks about the big mansions and the big buildings. 
And they were not letting the land revert back to the original owner. And so God pronounces a woe on them for not doing that, being dishonest in their business dealings. In verse 11, they were given another woe there for being drunk all day, beginning in the morning, drinking all day long, late into the night. And they would just go through the cycle. And so the first one is not following the law of God. The second one is being drunk, being in a place of uh, moral uh, baseness, so to speak. And in verse 18, we have another woe here where they were drawing sin to themselves with cords and rope or ropes. And this was used metaphorically speaking, where they would make cords and they would actually endeavor to pull the sin towards themselves. And not just a little bit of an effort, but they would use ropes as well, metaphorically speaking. How much sin could you pull to yourself using a rope? You could use a lot. You could effectively pull tons towards you using a rope. And God condemned them for their propensity of running after sin. That's the purpose of that passage. And in verse 20, he gives them a woe, pronounces a woe upon them because they called the evil good and good evil just like today god would come to our society and say you in the united states are guilty of calling good evil and evil good how many politicians have you heard say it's just the right thing to do well it's not the right thing to do according to god's word whenever they go off the deep end in their morality and in their ethics and they just want to overlook these things and god condemned israel for that also in verse 21, thinking they are wise and clever. In other words, we're so smart. We're so erudite. We're so in with it. We're so good. And God says, no, you're full of pride. And he condemned them for their elevated view of self. He said, no, this is all wrong and woe to you people. Then verse 22, here it is again. Drinking becomes a sport and denying justice to the innocent. They were guilty of those things. So they, they were basically a party culture. And they were not ministering to those who had nothing. And, and there were genuine poor people. I mean poor as poor can be. The only place that I've seen that, I've seen it some places in Cambodia, but mostly in Africa, just poor. In Africa... I think I told you, we'd see children up in the northern uh, reaches of Uganda, no clothes whatsoever. They'd just be walking around with no clothes. And those that did have clothes wore multi-generational clothes. And usually the holes in the clothes took up more area than the actual cloth that they were wearing. They were genuinely poor and destitute they had nothing and they would certainly over in africa as well they'd be denied justice and god condemned them for that looking after the poor the widow the orphans that type of thing so what exactly is a woe it's not like the surfers that you see down at the beach whoa dude it's just, it's not it's not like that this is a woe that it is a condition of Deep suffering from misfortune, affliction, or grief. Ruinous trouble. So God is pronouncing on them ruinous trouble. Lots of grief. It is not going to bode well for you. And several times he calls them hypocrites. Six times 
He calls them hypocrites in this chapter 23 here. Twice he calls them blind guides, once blind fools, once blind men, once blind Pharisee, once snakes, and once brood of vipers. He was not trying to win friends here. He, he was simply telling them, you guys are so wrong. Here's how wrong you were. I mean, how much, how much more pejorative speaking, like pushing it to the edge, could he get? You know, and, and I've given you examples of that before, calling somebody a name, and he's speaking truth in those names. Hypocrites, they were hypocrites. Well, what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is one who is an actor under an assumed character. So he says, you're a hypocrite because you're being an actor and you're hiding who you are. Have you seen the theatrical faces? One is the smile and one is the frown. And they're usually set opposite at an angle to each other. And they'd put the faces on uh, when they'd be doing acting, like in theater, that type of thing. If you go to Caesarea Philippi, the Romans built an amphitheater there. Also in Petra, there's a big amphitheater. And they would have productions. They would have plays that they would conduct, or they'd have speakers that would be there. And oftentimes they would dress up as characters. Even in the, the time of Shakespeare, women weren't allowed to act, and so the men would have to become the women. That was the, probably one of the beginnings of cross-dressing in the medieval time. But that, that's what they would do. They would dress up like these other characters. They'd put on a face, and it wasn't who they were in real life. And that's what Jesus was saying. You are an actor. And that was the ultimate insult. Now, if we call somebody an actor today, what do you say? Ooh, you're so famous. Get selfie. You know, you want to do something like that with an actor? Back then, it wasn't a, a good thing to be called a hypocrite. And that's what Jesus does. Now, they look like what they should have been, but they were not. So we look like, oftentimes to everybody else, what we should be. By the way, I believe we're all hypocrites. I I don't think that there's anybody who does exactly what they're supposed to. And, And why do I believe that? Well, because I'm a sinner and I don't. And I know you guys are sinners. Believe me, I know you. No, I'm just kidding. We are all sinners and we don't do what we're supposed to do. Why? Because we have the sinful nature on the inside. The difference between those of us, I believe, in here and the Pharisees, we know it. We confess it. We say, forgive me, Lord. They would say, nothing's wrong with me. I'm just fine. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. I fulfill the law, and it's all good. It, it's kind of the idea of, I do confession, so I'm good. I can go for another week now. Once I do the confession, slate is wiped clean. It, well, yes, that's true. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But if we premeditate a sin and think, oh, I can go to confession later, and by the way, Catholic Church, there are believers in there too. I, I don't want to say there's not, but there are. There, I believe that there are believers in every denomination, Christian denomination, Orthodox denomination that's out there. The unorthodox ones, no, they're not saved. They're simply cults. But we are all hypocrites to one degree or another. The things that we have told others to do, we haven't always done. 
I know that's the case with me. I've seen it in the lives of other people. We just fail constantly. And when we turn to God and we say, Lord, I've failed, he goes, I know. You're forgiven. Now get back up there and do it again, whatever your task is. And that's the great thing. It's kind of like a parent. A parent comes along with a little child. The child did wrong. I told you you'd get hurt if you did that, didn't I? And and you pick up the little child, you dust him off, say, all right, now go do what you're supposed to and don't get in trouble again like that. And that's what God does to us. We are his children. And that's, that's the greatest message of all there, the grace and the mercy of God. But these guys would not have any of it whatsoever. So the first woe here. Woe to you, teachers of the law. And whenever I say teachers of the law, that means the scribes. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. So they were claiming to be religious, but they would prevent people from entering the kingdom of God. But you read this and go, well, how were they doing that exactly? If somebody comes up and they want to follow God, and it says here, you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. In other words, they have made a judgment. They have been upset. Have you ever had a salesman come to your door and they start talking to you and they keep talking and you keep saying, no, I'm not interested. And they say, but wait. And you start taking the door and you go, no, I'm not interested. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And you shut the door on them so that they go away. Now, if you have a gate that prevents them from getting to your house, that's even wonderful. That's great. But there are salesmen that are pushy like that. And so we shut the door on them. You do that on your phone all the time. If you get the phone calls, hello, hi, is this so-and-so? Yes. Well, we have a great deal for you. I'm not interested. Oh, but wait. And you go, goodbye. And you, you push the button or you close the door on them is what you do. You refuse to hear what they have to say. Or they don't live up to your expectations. Well, the Pharisees were doing that as well. And we'll find out in these other woes that they would put burdens on their back. Well, they were constantly focusing on the minutia of the law and misinterpreting it and putting those burdens on people's back of how they had to act. And if they didn't follow through, they would say, oh, you're such a sinner. I'm just done with you. And they'd make judgments about the people that weren't able to follow through. And they would shut the door on them saying, I've had enough of you. You just can't measure up. And of course, the whole time they were not measuring up at all. And so he said, you shut the door, the kingdom of God on men's faces, and you're not entering in either. So it was an indictment towards them. They were being judgmental to the people who were around them rather than being loving Caring priests interceding for them with God. They refused to do what God asked them to do. Probably accusing them of not being worthy enough, not measuring up. A standard would be set that was always out of reach. And we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to say, well, I'm on this level and you're on that level. Therefore, you need to come up to my level. And if you can't make it, just forget it. We're just all done. Where Jesus has been teaching us. It's this servant attitude 
we lower ourselves to their level, minister to them, whoever they might be, and lift them up to where they can be, where they have the capacity. And those who cannot be raised up, you just love them anyhow. And we've been going through in the men's study the parables of the kingdom and pulling up the darnel or the weeds with the wheat and how they're supposed to just grow together. We're not supposed to worry about if somebody has a confession of faith, are they really saved or not? And we're being judgmental. And you're not living up to this ideal, brother. You need to wear your suit on Sunday and there needs to be a tie and not a weird one, just a plain one, you know. And they put all these standards out there for men and for women and the dresses and they're being judgmental. And it makes it difficult for people to get into heaven because you got so many rules that are there. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. Going on to the next one here, verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Again, he's not trying to win friends here by talking like this to the Pharisees? How do you think the Pharisees felt? They were probably standing there in their robes like this. I, I doubt if they were humble at all. Maybe there was one in there who was going, oh, this, you're hurting me with your words. And there may have been some of those that were there. But chances are their arms folded just got tighter and tighter and their lips got a little more purse and they probably started tapping their foots like this and looking at each other what is this guy saying here who does he think he is anyhow doesn't he know who we are well yeah he does and that's why he's saying this about them and so this idea again you travel over land and sea to win a single convert and when he becomes one you make him twice as much the son of hell as you well it's this teaching others to become judgmental or even harsh towards those seeking after the kingdom of God and they become so much like them they exceed them in their hypocrisy and so Jesus is condemning them for replicating themselves to quote unquote the nth degree there would be a little mathematics there. It's to a degree that is way higher than where they are existing right there. And they're, they keep on loading things on them. And the people keep saying, okay, these converts, okay, I can do this. And they become more of a child or a son of hell than actually those who he is calling hypocrites. And so making them worse because they're not following the scriptures. This is what the cults do. The cult will, uh, a cult, will take somebody. They will tell them, this is the lifestyle you must live. You must be accountable to us. You must make sure that we have control over your finances and the information and the behavior, the things you engage in. And when you do those things, you will be well seated in this community. And people do that. They accept what these teachers have to say, and they become worse than those who taught them. They become more judgmental of an individual who's out there because they, they have not learned the scriptures. Maybe the person like the Pharisee here that is going out and teaching and making a convert of somebody, they're successful in doing that, but they go so far beyond that they condemn other people because they don't know the scriptures like the one who is the trained Pharisee. They, they have some restraint because they know the scripture, but the one who doesn't know the scripture becomes even worse. 
And that is the worst thing you could possibly have, especially somebody in a cult who has become worse. They don't know the scriptures. They don't know the power of God. And they just learn the behavior. And they learn the judgmentalism. And God says, don't do that. Woe to you. May you be under a curse if you do that, basically is what he is saying. And he says that they are under a curse. So they train others in their sinful and hypocritical ways only to make them worse than themselves. Verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides. You say if someone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if he, if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. First it was blind guides. Now it's you blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You say... If anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. So They're just hypocrites. Now, how do you kind of dice this up and really understand what they were doing? They were into taking oaths. And of course, we know Jesus said, do not take oaths. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And so what they did, they had different... uh, gradations grades of vows so if you are on the low end of the spectrum and you made a vow it sounded good i vow by the gold on the altar oh that's great or gold in the temple i vow by the gold in the temple okay that's wonder that's fantastic but not by the temple because i've i vowed by the temple and then i broke it then it would be a problem but i can vow by the gold gold because it's not the temple Therefore, I have an excuse to break my vow. That's what they would do. Whenever they would make these vows and they'd have gradations of them, well, you can make this vow and break it, but you can't make that vow and break it. They wanted to just get away with sinful behavior. I vowed to do this. And if they didn't follow through, I'm good. It wasn't really a binding vow. No, if I would have swore by the temple, that would have been a binding vow. And where do you get this from? It's not in scripture at all. They made stuff up. Now, how often do we make stuff up? I told you this story before of a uh, gentleman. He was in the church at the very beginning. And I, I wore a tie. And he goes, oh, you have a tie on. You're honoring the gospel. I looked at the tie and I'm honoring the gospel. No, I just wore a tie. It's just a tie. And if I wear a tie, I'm no worse or better if I don't wear a tie. It doesn't make any difference. But we have these standards that we come up with. 
We have these routines that we fall into and we say, well, this routine is good. So you need to follow that routine because it makes me feel good. Like I'm spiritual. Therefore, if you do it, you'll feel good and you'll be spiritual and add a few things to it. If you feel like it and it's okay to carry that burden, I don't have to carry your burden. You carry your burden. You see how it goes. You just pile stuff on. And if you say a big vow, well, you can't break it. But if you say a small vow, well, that's okay. Where's the truth in any of that? It's coming up with these nefarious standards. That means it it bodes evil for the individual who says you need to keep this. And, And they weren't willing to do lift a finger at all themselves. And so we're not supposed to impose on anybody any kind of standard that is outside of Scripture. Matter of fact, we're to be full of grace. You know that Scripture, if you read it carefully, everything is permissible. And you go, what, what, what? I'm not talking about sin. Sin is not permissible. Should we sin to the grace of God and make much more abound? God forbid. That's the book of Romans. No, but everything is permissible. Well, what do you mean? Well, like, can you dance? Hmm. Can you smoke? Can you chew? Can you go with those that do? (laughs) You know, those types of things are... Are you able to do that? What, what about vape? Can you vape? Can you not vape? Is it, does it say in first speculations, thou shalt not vape with any flavor ingredient? It doesn't say that at all, does it? Thou shalt wear wingtip shoes to church. You guys remember what those are? Wingtips? Maybe you had two-tone wingtips, the black and the tan, and you looked really good, that type of thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Some of the younger people are going, what? What are you talking about? Wingtips? What are those? Anyhow, it's this idea that we have these set of standards and rules that we put out there, and we want everybody to follow through with them, and we impose them on others, and, and God is not into that, and, and saying what is acceptable, what's not acceptable, That's not for us. Everything is permissible for us. And the only time that we're not supposed to walk in the permissibility of things which are out there is if we offend somebody else. Romans talks about that. First Corinthians talks about that. If we offend a brother, well, we should not participate if we know we have a chance of offending him. But we don't want to have evil spoken of about our liberties as well. And so all of those things that in a society we would say are wrong from the Christian perspective may not necessarily be wrong unless the word says it's wrong. And then we have freedom to do that. We have freedom to participate is what we have. So going on here, verse 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. And so he is using, this is a case of hyperbole here. Now how big is a gnat? It's maybe the size of a pencil lead, half the size of a grain of rice, very small and that was the smallest of unclean things that if a Pharisee ingested that he would probably make himself regurgitate it 
because he wouldn't want to be doing anything or receiving anything that is unclean. On the other hand, how big is a camel? If you ever make it to Israel, do not make this mistake. Especially like down in Jericho. If you go down to Jericho and they have these camels all lined up. And they'll let you come over and see the camels and maybe take a camel ride. And that's all well and good. And they get you off the camel and they lower the camel down. And they say, would you like to kiss the camel? And, and they will say, oh, everybody does it, you know. And, and these people, they walk up, okay. And they, they wince like that. And this camel comes up and slobbers all over their face. And I'm sure, oh, they're just laughing and they're going, fool, you fool, doing something like that. So don't ever do that. But a camel was unclean. And, and so, what they would do is they would take a piece of cloth, they would pour their drink through it just to make sure there were no tiny gnats that they couldn't see, and then they would drink after they would filter it. But they would go out and swallow a whole camel, which means you think you're being so tidy and and taking your seeds and not just weighing them out but counting each seed to make sure you give a tenth of all your increase but you'll go out and swallow a big camel which means you will indulge in a sin wholeheartedly and violate the law and you think nothing of it whatsoever and he says you hypocrite you strain out a gnat but you swallow a camel You'll look at the minutia of the law and keep that, but the more important things you neglect. Like justice. Not giving justice to somebody. Considering somebody less than you if you were a Pharisee or less than me if I was a Pharisee. Looking at ourselves more highly than we ought. Thinking that we are greater than we actually are. And so he calls them a hypocrite because of this. And of course, this translates into they were not caring for the people. They were not carrying out justice. They were not being merciful. And they were not being faithful to God to minister to the people. And so God condemned them for that. They were religious, but they were not relational. Even today... If you go to the uh, Western Wall, some call it the Wailing Wall, at the morning prayer time and at the afternoon prayer time, especially the young men, the young Hasidic men, they will gather together. I've mentioned this to you before. And they will stand shoulder to shoulder in little huddles, and their shoulders are actually touching. And they're constantly looking behind them because there is a, a pathway up at the, uh, the uh, I think it's the west side. Yeah, it's the west side. Uh, before you walk into the western wall is, you have the women's side on the right, the men's side on the left, and you have this walkway. This walkway is probably 15 feet wide where you can walk uh, through to get to the western wall. It's probably from these chairs maybe to the back of the uh, sanctuary over here. And so you're able to walk by. Well, these Hasidic Jews today, they'll they'll huddle next to the edge. And sometimes there's a low wall there. They'll, They'll be right next to the edge. So the tourists, the unclean Gentiles who come through, they'll avoid touching them. If they see they're going to be touched, they they come in. They don't want to be touched at all because that would make them unclean before the prayer time. 
Just like if you walked into the Mormon temple, you are not a temple recommend, they'd probably have to rip out the carpet. They did that when they opened this one down here. They gave everybody booties, but you could not go into the temple proper. You could go into some other areas. And I was told they ripped out all the carpet because all those filthy non-Mormons were in there. Uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so they've said, you know, you're, you're not pure. Well, none of us are pure. It's by Christ that we become pure. And that's where they make the mistake of misinterpreting the scriptures. So this idea of straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel, they place the big importance on the small things and the small importance on the big things. And, and we see the problems that they got into with that because they did not follow the word of God on most things. Now, verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside... They are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Now, he's mixing some things here. You you have a cup or a bowl. They would take a a clean rag, and they would clean out the inside of that. They'd clean whatever they had. They'd clean the forks or knives or utensils. They'd clean everything like that just to make sure it had not been defiled. And he's not talking about a cup. He's talking about their heart. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, you know, on the outside, like the cup, the dish, you look good. You're clean, you're shiny, the ceramic, the wooden bowl, it's all fine. But on the inside, what do you put on the inside of the cup? Well, in the case of the Pharisee, on the inside, it was death. There was death on the inside. It was sinfulness. There was hypocrisy. They were blind. They didn't even see that God was concerned about the inside and not the outside. Of course, they claimed to be religious, but they thought that the outward appearance was everything, going beyond measure in all aspects of practice, but not going beyond measure to make the heart match the deeds. And so the deeds that they would do, remember standing on the street corner and praying and yelling so everybody would see them, that type of thing. The phylacteries, the robes, the flowing robes, the sitting in the front seats of the synagogues or any meetings that they had being wanting to be called rabbi or uh, all of those things that the titles that they would give them or teacher. And they were happy with that, but the inside was bad. Now, again, I said there are hypocrites inside the church here, but there's a special class of hypocrite inside the Christian church. And it's the one who would fleece the body for money, who would just take all that they possibly could for their own benefit. They would use people in the body for their own aggrandizement, to lift themselves up, to gain positions of power, to uh, to speak just right, to use flattery, that type of thing. That's a special kind of hypocrite. And they may in fact be saved in the Christian church, but they will have no reward when they get to heaven because God will judge us all for those types of acts that we had performed inside the church to lift ourselves up and not be involved in the justice, mercy, and the faithfulness and making sure that the inside is circumcised of the heart and not that the outside, all the outward works look great. And that's not what it's about. If we change the inside, the outside just flows. 
It's like those people involved in uh, theonomy or dominion theology. If we just go out and we take the positions of power, we evangelize, the world will become Christian and will get better, and then Christ comes back. That's their view. By the way, that's not what happens. As the gospel goes out, you start dividing people. People that will say, I want to follow Christ, as opposed to those, I want nothing to do with Christ. And you draw the lines when you give the gospel. God calls us to draw the lines. And we know, as we get into Matthew chapter 24, the next chapter, it's just going to get worse. It's not going to get better. But there are people in the Christian church that believe, we just have to evangelize, we just have to make things better, and, and the Lord will come back after all of that. And, of course, that is poor doctrine, these Teachers of the law, they're worried about, or the teachers of the law back then, and also Christians were worried about changing society on the outside. If we just changed our hearts, society would change. It would just go away. And uh, I think it was, was it uh, Ephesus was the city? I have to go back and look. But they, they got so evangelized, they took all of their scrolls, which were dealing with witchcraft and the black arts and all of those things, the dark arts, and they burned them all. And, of course, they had a transformation. I've heard of cities completely getting rid of all the bars because they get evangelized, because the hearts were changed on the inside. When you had the Methodist revival, when that was taking place, and you had the Methodist riders, and they would ride their horses around, that type of thing, and and do evangelism, the people, they would be hurt to the soul. They would be crying. They would be weeping and calling out to God. And so the change took place in society because of what happens on the inside. This is our task. We want to make sure we're changed on the inside. Now, if you're like me, and I think you are, you have the fallen nature, a thought will come in. And uh, let me describe it like this. I, I get opportunities on a regular basis to start becoming judgmental. Believe it or not, and it happens to me too. And when it, when it happens, the first thought my flesh says to myself, I say, self, I say, you are justified in feeling that way. Just go ahead. Just, yeah, think on it. Just brew on it. You know, it, it's kind of like making up a nice pan of meat and onions and garlic and throwing some chilies and everything. And, oh, this is so good. And, and I, you dwell on it on the inside. It's like gossip is a tasty morsel. The same thing afflicts us when we want to be justified if somebody has wronged us. We cook up a meal and we're just ready to eat it. it it's kind of like, imagine the old city of Jerusalem and had a wall around it. And I've been up on the wall and you can see right over the side there's a path to walk up there. And Imagine ladders coming up and here comes the hordes. They want to come up and they want to take the city and they're going to take your mind. The enemy is coming to take your mind to lead you down a path that would not be good and you would start justifying yourself and you have to stop. You have to say, no, I won't. And it's like grabbing the ladder and saying, see ya. And you push the ladder away and the hordes cannot get up. But oftentimes we say, Let me hold the ladder for you and let the evil thoughts come up. And that's where we're supposed to take every thought captive. Now, who in here is successful of taking every thought captive? 
Yeah, that's what I thought. See, we have that problem, and God says, change the inside, and the outside will be transformed. It just automatically happens. It's like an engine. If the engine is running just fine, the car goes. If the engine isn't running just fine, neither is the car. It doesn't go. So God says, change on the inside. He goes on here. Verse 27, woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy, which is deceit in this case, and wickedness, which is ways to violate God's law. They're thinking about it. So I'm, I'm going to be deceitful here. And what can I do today that is not lawful? That's what he condemns them for. So they appeared to be alive on the outside, just like a whitewashed sepulcher. You paint it all and it looks wonderful. But on the inside, there's a stench and rottenness. And Jesus says, that's the case of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Verse 29, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we have lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of sin of your forefathers, because they were going to send Christ to the cross. They were going to be even worse than their forefathers. They were going to follow in line with what their forefathers did. And so he's condemning him for that. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of uh, Berechiah, who you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. I mean, how much more condemning could Jesus be? Now, I was wondering, if is he sitting down saying this? Is he standing up? Is he standing up and pointing his finger like that? And is he just letting them have it left and right? And I'm sure the people who are watching are going, Oh, I hope fire from heaven isn't going to come down, you know, something like And he was a prophet. He was perceived as a prophet. Of course, there were many who knew that he was the Messiah. But it was just, I don't want to say reckless, but it just did destroy them on the outside to the point where they were infuriated. In verse 37, I, I love this verse. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent uh, that those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Even all these woes that have been pronounced, if they would change, God would be willing to receive them. And that's the great news. But we know it doesn't turn out well for them. Verse 38, look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so God condemned them for their behaviors. We just want to make sure that the behaviors that we have been involved in, the hypocrisy that may have been evident, 
we just turn to God and we say, God, forgive me. I know I have violated your word. I have violated your standard. I have thought about myself more than anybody else. I don't study. I don't pray. I don't go to church. I don't go to study. I, you know, all of those things. We just don't do that. We turn to God and say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Please help me to do better. And he is faithful. He cannot deny himself. He will be faithful to come and help us as long as we are humble. Unlike the Pharisees who were full of pride. My prayer for you is that you can look inside, see the dead men's bones, and say, God, raise me to life. Forgive me of my sins. Restore me. For that's what he's good at. That's why he died. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your goodness, even to the nation of Israel that turned repeatedly over and over away from your statutes, your teachings, your leaders. And Father, we know we are prone to the same thing. But we thank you for your grace that even when we have done so much wrong, you still forgive. And that is so great. Help us to communicate that, Lord, to others. Help us to realize exactly what it means, that we are not condemned, that you are for us and not against us. Father, we are so blessed to have you as our God, for there are none other that even compared to you. And so, Father, we lift up the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior, this morning. And it's in his name we pray these things. And everyone said...